Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. Uh, I'm your program host. I mean, I should—I shouldn't even have to say it, but it's me, Patrick Egan. And let's say hello. <laughs> we always do to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Mr. Egan, and you know, you kind of hesitated there for a minute. I thought you'd forgotten your line. I was about to fall out of my chair. No, I didn't forget the line. I just figured we'd mix it up a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I th- we need, like, a, a in front of a live studio audience. With, you know, and then uh, we get the band. And every time I crack a bad joke, we could have the rim shot. But I'm pumped. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. It would work out great. So, um There's so much stuff going on. Uh, It's crazy. But uh, so, you know, anything uh, interesting to catch your attention this week? Or I know that you've been busy, you know, doing searches. And um, we talk on the off time and you tell me you're busy doing all kinds of stuff. What's up with you? Well, I mean, we're kind of, we had spring break last week. So uh, I I actually kind of took a little time off. I think I saw the (laughs) picture. No, no, no. No, no, no. Uh, working around the house and all that, but it, you know, I just didn't feel guilty about it this time. But uh, I'm here, guys. Hey, oh, hello, guest. You better late than never. Well, we'll bring. All right. Well, you're you're here now. So anyway, Gene's gonna tell us what the hell he's up to, and then we'll we'll ask you what you're up to. Go ahead, Gene. What else are you doing? It's spring break. What are you doing? You know, did spring break, did, you know, did the, some some stuff around the house, and I felt pretty good about it. But the one thing that I just wanted to mention, you know, the uh, uh, DJI rolled out their M30. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not too impressed with the M30 itself. But you know what really gets me is when they start pushing this 48-megapixel camera. And it's really I, I wish people would really take a close hard look at that because 48 megapixels does not necessarily mean a better picture so anyway that's all i'm going to say about that we'll let that one you know we'll, we'll throw that one out there and just say do your research sensor size does matter <laughs> okay bobby okay so our guest you know let me just uh because I'm going to, we'll ask you what's going on. But Bobby Healy is our guest, and we've been trying to catch this guy. He's everywhere. <laughs> he's here. He's there. He's he's everywhere. How's Luther. it going, Bobby? What's up? Very I'm Luther. good. How are you, Patrick? I'm doing good. Look, we got him here in the flesh. Oh my God! Uh, all right. So, what did you do for spring break? Were you in Florida, mud wrestling on the beach? Was that you? Did I see pictures? Fortunately enough. Uh, being from Ireland, we don't have a spring break because it lashes rain here mostly uh, during spring. But uh, by, by pure coincidence, I actually was traveling through New York and uh, JFK specifically, and I could not get a, a, a socket to plug my laptop into or even a seat in the airport. It was so packed full of spring breakers. It's lovely to see, actually. Great to see, uh, considering the two years we've been through with COVID. Um, but yeah, no, I don't get to celebrate spring break, I'm afraid. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Well, lots of rain. But you know, I love the rain. It's uh fun thing. I love you know, I like that. You know, people that with Ireland they're like, Oh, it's green. Well, how do you think it gets green? It's lots of <laughs> Very <laughs> true. Know? But it's good, you know, it's all good. So yeah, um 
I didn't. I I was like Gene. I'm doing projects around the house. I got too many jobs. That's that's my problem. I, they, too much stuff going on all the time. Oh, the uh, the UAS symposium, the FAA UAS symposium is going on on the 28th of April. I fr- I threw it out there that I'm looking for a press pass. They usually uh, they like to deny they want that 350 bucks. <laughs> but, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I'll be there. Maybe I won't. Um, are you going, Gene? Uh, no, I'm not going to that one. I'll, I'll be going to the uh, Robotic Summit next week, though, in Burnett, which uh, is directed more at public safety. But I got to tell you, it's one of the better shows around. So, I mean, we had Tom on and talked about it. Yeah. So uh, that's the one I'm definitely going to. And uh, that's a Texas, too. I, you know, I mean, everything, uh, I got to tell you, um, you know, just uh, more and more, there is just so much stuff going on in Texas, and everyone's going to Texas, you know. To, uh, it's crazy. So, I mean, you know, hats off to Texas, you know, except you're going to get all those, uh, you know, strange California types moving there. And you're in for it, buddy. That's all I can say. Oh, no, they're here. <laughs> I know they're here. Well, that's the same reason I don't leave California. You know, because I don't want to move somewhere where there's going to be all these nutty Californians. I got them right here. I can just (laughs) walk out the door, and there they are. All right, well, anyway, because I know, you know, Bobby's calling in from overseas, and it's very dear. Although we did hear that, uh, you know, didn't you get get a bunch of VC funding? This guy's over here. He's killing it. I saw that uh, you're doing artwork with your flight maps and, uh, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. So I want to get into that. Indeed, yeah. yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, it's going to be, this is this is just a candid conversation between, um, you know, some professional friends that have never met, so we'll, we'll cover all of that. But before we dive into um, the artwork, possibly you could give us a little bio about yourself and how you got involved with the drones. Yeah, happy to. So, um I am, uh, in technology terms, an old man now, uh, 53 years old and Irish, and I'm a programmer. I mean, yeah, video games. I started my career writing video games for Nintendo, and then I built a bunch of different technology businesses that I subsequently sold. And then I started Mana Drone Delivery uh, just about three years ago. And as you say, um, raised some VC cash to, to power the R&D phase of the business. And uh, I must say it's been, you know, really pretty great, the access we've had to the skies here in Europe. You know, the regulatory context in Europe is really pro-drones and drone delivery. So it's been uh, in the three years, less than three years that we've been live, We've done over 95,000 flights now, and I and, uh, must say I'm delighted with how it's going. Um, yeah. So techie. I'm a techie at heart. Not a drone guy okay. specifically, but a techie. All right. Well, maybe that's good, you know, because a lot of these uh, guys, I don't know if you read my stuff, but a lot of these guys, you know, run down to Best Buy. I don't think they have Best Buy in Ireland. I'm sure they have an electronic shop, but <clears throat> they uh, you know, run down by a DJI drone. I'm a drone expert two months later. And, uh, you know, Gene and myself have been at this for a long time. So, you know, we, we see a lot of that stuff. But, so let me, you know, I wanna, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of international questions I have. And one of them is, so this VC funding, is this, I, you know, 
is this, let's say, um, and I can't want to say domestic because it would confuse people in the U.S., but so was the VC funding from a uh, fund in Ireland or the EU or, or tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah, uh, actually, there's two U.S. funds. One of them is FFVC in New York. Uh, the other is Dynamo VC in Tennessee. And the third one, the largest one, is actually a, a U.K.-based fund. Uh, it's a PLC called Molten Ventures. And um, they're, they're, you know, they're a PLC, so they invest off their balance sheet. But between those three, um, we have strong, uh, very strong backers with deep pockets, actually. So there's, there's unlimited cows. There, there aren't, there isn't really much to go by the way of VC in Ireland unless you want to raise cows and chickens. For uh, drones, it's, uh, it, drones are those high risk, deep tech businesses that everyone's afraid of. Um, but you know, US VCs understand risk as do you know London-based VCs. So there, there's a there's an unlimited amount of capital available to build drone-related businesses if you have a good team. Yeah, well, that's a, you know, I was I was kind of hoping to hear and hear you know this. Uh, I'm, I don't you know, regardless uh, what people say, I'm like this optimist guy, you know. Um, and I was kind of disappointed to hear that there's not uh, you know some some Irish VC. Uh, investing in this technology. So one thing that I, you know, that I really liked about uh, even getting into the unmanned technology thing is really you didn't need to be in any country particular. You know, you could be in any country and develop this technology, which you're proving. So it's, it's, uh, I'm a little disappointed to hear that. You know, you think uh, somebody just stepped in and, and, and helped you out. But yeah, like the problem is Ireland's a tiny country, so it's it's uh, you know the actual size of venture capital funds here. Like you're you're talking, you know, crumbs on the table. It's just too small an economy to have significant uh, VC. I mean, we, we do have some great VCs, of course, um, but drone delivery is so far out there. Like to a lot of people, to you and I, you know, it's it's normal, right? We understand drones. We understand that this that this is coming. So we, we know, it's obvious to us, but to, to most people around the world, it's, it's still sci-fi and, and they think it's, it's 10 years away. So, and the same applies to VCs, generalist VCs don't really understand the risk around drones and regulatory risk and all that stuff. So they're a bit afraid of it. So it's, it's normal. Um, but, but on the flip side, even though the investment climate isn't great in Ireland, there's only 5 million people here, the regulatory side is fantastic, right? So we go under EASA uh, regulations and you have here regulators that really want the industry to move forward and they're, they're operating at pace to help us get regulated. And they've written and drafted the regulations, they've ratified them, they become law mostly the start of 2023. So you're gonna see Europe, you know, absolutely taking a lead in drone delivery and scaling before anywhere else. So so. While the investment environment's not great, the regulatory environment is fantastic. Yeah, and I wanted to, to delve into that because I have, you know, uh, met and talked with some of the folks at IAA and, uh, you know, the thinking over there. Um, but let's, you know, so first, you know, you talked about Ireland and you got 5 million people and, and some of the uh, folks with the biggest hearts on the planet, you know. And, um, you know, I, I know, you know, even I've talked to people about drones and Ireland relatives and whatever and years ago and they're like eh, you know like you said little science fictiony 
um, you know, what type of products? Okay, so you guys are delivering, and like I said, you, I saw that you posted a, a map of, uh, you know, where, where you're delivering, and I want to kind of, you know, let's say dig into that without giving away the secret sauce, but... So, you know, I mean, like, you know, you see in uh, Australia and uh, bigger companies are, de- de- are uh, delivering a bag of crisps and, and whatever else. What, what type of stuff are you? Is it burritos and tacos, whiskey, kind of <laughs> glass? Uh, what, what's, what, uh, yeah, what you but you're going to be um, – well, so we we have a bigger cargo uh, bay than, um, than those companies that are excellent companies, by the way, those companies in Australia or that company – uh, they have a fantastic uh, platform, um, but so we're a slightly bigger payload. So we we can take uh, so what three and a half kilos? What's that? I think that's seven and a half to eight pounds of cargo, mm-hmm. and the vo- the volume is what's important. So we can take thirty thousand cubic centimeters, and don't ask me to convert that to imperial. It's, it's quite a large cargo bay. So if I were to map it into object terms it'll it'll easily take two footballs and you know certainly enough takeaway food for a family of four or five people and so so what we're, what are we delivering pretty much everything we have a bookstore we have a hardware store we have ice cream store we have two coffee shops we have um, multiple fast food vendors we have a pizza store we can take a 13 inch pizza and what's the interesting thing? and of course pints of guinness so we've been serving well, tons of guinness yeah, uh, and it travels great, you know. Um, uh, but co- coffee, is probably the most popular, coffee is probably the most popular thing, but Guinness is the most delicious. Yeah, well, that's, you know, it's funny. Is that, so, you, you know, you're here in the United States, you get a Guinness, people, eh, it doesn't really taste the same. It doesn't like the waves. How does it feel? How is it in the air? Does the, the air body, the Guinness is just <laughs> as delicious? They're, they're, it's funny, you know, get, I agree with those uh, voices, you know, I would never drink Guinness outside of Ireland, doesn't like the waves, like you say, it uh, for whatever reason, uh, there's not enough pixie dust on it or something, but I drink Guinness in Ireland and I love it, and I wouldn't drink it anywhere else, <laughs> it's a crime to drink Guinness outside of Ireland. Well, yeah, and that's, uh, it's hard, too, on a, uh, you know, when it's 105 degrees to sit down and drink a Guinness, you know, yeah. it's a little, uh, little heavy. Right, that's Gene? exactly you... right. You know, the, the, see, we've got deliciously awful weather here. It's always cold, it's always windy, it's always raining. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a perfect drink to compensate. Exactly. So I, I guess... To... I guess a plowman's lunch would just be completely out of the, the question over here, right? <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't talk about plowman's lunch <laughs> outside of Ireland. Yeah, yeah. That's a secret. That in a bag, that in a bag of dry roasted peanuts. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the uh, oh. hardware store would probably be uh, handy, you know, especially when doing all these home projects and you're like, you know, jumping the truck. Yeah. Run down to the hardware store, buy a new, you know, router bit or whatever that might be uh, handy. Alleviate some of the swears in the uh, home improvement projects. But um, all right, so you got all that, and okay, so you know, you're you're a, you're an old guy. We're old guys too. Um, who is your customer base? Is it like everybody? Is it just you know the the younger kids with their cell phones? 
You know, who's uh, oh, yeah. diesel fitters with a bad attitude? With <laughs> who's ordering up the service? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, so we we also I should have said we also do pharmacy, right? And we do prescription medicine here in Ireland. So we did a partnership <laughs> with the, the health service. So for those, it's always elderly people, right? You know, actually elderly people my age and, and older that might get their prescription delivered. It's 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 a small amount of volume relative. Like it's it's about one percent of our volume is is pharmacy, but it's it's older people and the coffee stores. It's all about it's it's usually you know young married couples uh, at home working from home. And they're ordering their coffees and their pastries. The meals are, are all families. There's always, um, you know, children. In our meals, when people order meals, it's always families, nearly always families. So various ages, but a spread. And then all the other products, it's just like, the, the funny thing is, so in, in the last town we operated, which is on the west coast of Ireland called Galway, 38% of the households, there's 10,000 people there, 38% of them use the service regularly. And some people had over a hundred orders, like a hundred drone deliveries. So it's not a it's not a novelty for them. They just they just replace road based delivery with drone delivery for certain categories where it just it's practical. So it's people of all ages, you know. And we even we even added a phone number where elderly people could call us to place their order and we would make the order happen and we would just follow up every month with a bill and they'd pay the bill in cash. You know, uh, so it's kind of you send the a hybrid. Over there to get the money? We don't, unfortunately. <laughs> but but you know, uh, you know, dr- drone delivery, as as crazy space age as it is, can be mapped onto any part of the community and work. You know, it just like it can serve everyone because it, it, all it does. I mean, it's, in the end, they're dumb devices that just reliably carry anything you want from A to B, and so long as A to B. Are within range and so long as the cargo is acceptable and we can manage it why wouldn't it be used by the community as an infrastructure to create business to create jobs to support the community in whatever way possible you know and of course there's commercial rationale too but you know that's when you look at at scale how does it work commercially can you ever make money with drones carrying things around and the answer is 100 percent yes you can it's very very cost effective far more cost effective than using people yeah well you know that was my next you know, question I, I mean what sort of savings do you get i mean can you project that yeah we we, do, we can you know we can we believe that at scale the, the industry not just us but the whole industry will be able to do drone deliveries for less than one dollar per delivery and most of that dollar, most of that dollar is around what we call the consumable. So it's the, the depreciation on your battery, depreciation on your motor and props, and then maintenance overhead. Some small amount of human overhead as well. And um, but you know, just to put things into into perspective, the, you know the big food delivery platforms today in the United States, it costs them six to nine dollars per order to get the hamburger to your house. That is their cost of doing that, and that's the current numbers. And we have a very clear line of sight to a dollar, dollar fifty. Uh, and you guys know how drone works, right? The battery, a good lithium-ion battery, you'll get six hundred, seven hundred cycles out of it. And if you apply that cost over that many flights, and um, it's actually quite a small cost. 
the big trick, the, the biggest trick in our industry to scale is going to be getting maintenance schedule for aircraft down to a point where it's it's di- it's diluted enough by the volume of flights you do and that isn't easy and because your typical dji drone ain't going to get there uh, so you need a very very special type of drone to be able to be maintainable and to be able to do like one of our drones already has twenty five thousand deliveries on it you try doing twenty five thousand long haul flights with a dji and, and it won't look pretty you know so so that actually <laughs> When you talk about cost, that's the hard part. You know, it's not the tech really. Anyone can build a drone. It's about how do you get safely to scale where you're doing a million, ten million flights a day at scale. How do you get maintenance working well? How do you make sure you don't have accidents? Actually, the real challenge for drone delivery industry is that. So, are you building your own drone? We build our own. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason we do is not, not because it's fun uh, or it's easy, but because there are no commercially available drones today that meet the requisite levels of safety. And this entire industry is, is only going to kick off when you get to, to safety levels, right? And we'd like to think that we can reach the same safety levels as aviation, as general aviation, if not more safe than general aviation and so you know that that that's just not available off the shelf like as good as the big manufacturers are the skydios the the dgis and so on they've awesome products but they're not designed for scale safety they're just not you couldn't fly those products over populated areas um and and have any kind of conscience yeah and and so that's uh you know one of the things too so uh but I was going to ask that question if you're making your own, and that's interesting that you're doing that and uh, the, the safety mindset. But um, I think that that's one of the – well, you hit on a couple of the problems with, uh, let's say, drone delivery or even um, applications outside of the envelope of a $1,500 quadcopter, right? So um, – we're seeing now, you know, with this deal going on in Ukraine, there's a call all hands on deck and they want all these different capabilities and the drones don't exist and they don't exist. And I'm, I'm mainly talking over here in the United States or, or wherever, really, they don't really exist because they're kind of outside of, let's say, the normal regulatory envelope, which, which is too bad. I think it's kind of too bad, but there's no, um, like you're saying, you know, there's, is there really enough drone delivery for a company to step in and say, Hey, I'm making this drone delivery drone and I'm going to sell this all over the world. No, there's not. I, and I did want to talk yeah. about uh, the, the regulatory side of this. So the, the regulatory side of this is uh, what is really hampering in, in my estimation, the real, value or scaling of this uh, industry and technology. And people say I'm negative and, you know, I beat up on the FAA, but uh, old timers like Gene and myself, we, we already, you know, we saw what you could do with this technology when it was basically uh, unregulated. You could fly in, uh, you know, over here, you got class B airspace and your airspace, uh, classifications are a little bit different, but we could fly beyond a visual line of sight. You could, cl- you could fly in controlled airspace. You could fly at night. You could do all, everything that you wanted to do, and the technology was growing like by leaps and bounds. So 
you're kind of confirming what I'm saying. So here you are. I think there are a lot of people too that, and, and this happened with 3D robotics, was that you know it was kind of a race to the bottom on the price. You know, if you could buy three dollar yeah. motors and five dollar ESCs and put them in there, and your drone only cost three hundred fifty dollars, you were a winner. But <laughs> the race to the bottom on price in aviation is not good, and, and you're talking about this. So when when you're building your systems, are you are you are you, I mean, you know? It sounds like you're into safety, you're into quality products, um, and I don't want to yeah. ask. So what is this costing? That's a strategy. That's a strategy. You know, you can you can build uh, vehicles or aircraft or drones, whatever you want to call them. You can build them low cost for sure, and may, and call them disposable, right? Put 500 flights on them, throw them out, and cycle. And you can you can buy and strip down an M600 for a couple of thousand dollars, and and off you go. But you know, and that that works to an extent, but it's not scalable. You're not going to do that. And, and knock a, a million or 10 million flights a day through that, you know, platform. It's just, it's not scalable. So our, our aircraft costs a ton of money. Like our, our bill of materials is over $10,000, just a bill of materials. And that's because we have radar, we have LIDAR, we have quality products all around, and it's expensive. And, but, you know, we expect that aircraft, we expect that aircraft to have a two-year life cycle and do two or 300,000 flights and be maintainable. So I th- we think, anyway, a better strategy is to build an aircraft like an aircraft, not like a toy, and expect it to work hard for you. And that, that's going to be, by its nature, a safe aircraft because you can design in safety, but it's expensive. And that's what we've done. And, and I think that's the right strategy because we're asking communities all around the world to let us fly over them their their houses their gardens their children and so we have to act responsibly and you're not going to do that with a, a stripped down chinese aircraft not today anyway well i would agree with that i mean there's a lot of value and trust in the community and if these things are falling out of the sky everywhere and you know you're uh, hurting people you're, you're really uh, hurting yourself the industry uh, your reputation and and everything else. So I do agree with that. So, you know, you've been at this for a while, and it, was, and it sounds like the safety thing and the maintenance thing. Have you been keeping uh, pretty good records on all of this as far as uh, your operations and, and what the safety's like? We do, yeah. Um, so we have 95,000, uh, probably a little bit more now, about 95,000 flights, and we keep very, very rigid uh, set of records and controls. We have, we operate here under an LUC, and I'm not sure if folks know what that is, but it's it's kind of the European no, no, equivalent. Of a, yeah, it's the European equivalent of a Part 135. And within that, there's there's particular requirements around auditability and traceability of of everything that you do. And so, I mean, most of our documentation is digital, right? It's it's automated. So we can tell if we had a flight anomaly, if we had a battery failure, a motor failure. So we, we track things like that. And we track, so, so I could look at our database now and I could say, how many times did we lose a motor? Under what weather conditions did we lose that motor? And what was performance like after we lost that motor? So that kind of data 
you know, feeds into our approach to, the, you know, our conversations with the regulators here. So we're able to show them, we can show them that 95,000 flights and, and we can literally ask any question of that data and see how the aircraft performs. So, you know, that, that includes false positives on parachute deploy, uh, false positives or, 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 or errors on detection of altitude or position, things like that. So we can see, now, you know, 95,000 flights is a lot, but it's also a little, right, depending on who you ask. So it's a good set of data, but not, you know, not big enough. I'd like to have a million flights on there. And, you know, but, but you probably, I haven't said this, but we have a triplex flight system. So we have three flight computers and we have three uh, RTK GPS units, three of everything. And then we supplement them with modal redundancy so that's why we use lidar and radar so if, if we lose position we're not relying only on gps we can switch over and so we record all of those anomalies in the gps or the or the compasses and, and all that and you know just recording everything and recording it digitally and making it easily accessible and reportable on strengthens your insight into what your vehicle actually is like and it also lets you have transparency and show that data to well, really, the stakeholder here is the regulator, but we, we can sit down with the sorry, IAA or IASA and show them um, our history and, our, and, and quite a quite a clean record, actually. I have to say, um, you know, but but that's combination of being transparent with the regulators, but also just genuinely, that's the right process to improve your product and make it more reliable. Right. Now, you know, several other things have kind of perked up in that. So we talked about, you know, the, uh, let's say, inherent climate in, in Ireland. You know, and it's it, lots of rain. So are, is your, what can your aircraft, uh, how much weather can they handle? Yeah, our, our ZX aircraft, that's our new model aircraft, can fly in 15 meters per second, uh, last 10 minutes average and rain and uh, darkness. Like we're already flying in, in these conditions, I should say. So we're flying at nighttime and pitch dark in, you know, 15 meters per second wind and rain. And that, that's not particularly difficult. Uh, rain is probably the biggest. So, well, wind, wind, you know, we're, we're on the, we're, we're an island on the west coast of Europe, right? You couldn't pick a worse place to start a drone delivery business, right? But it also lets you test, right? So, I mean, we're delivering in gigantic sidewinds into tight spaces, very densely populated areas, and it works. And not, nobody else has done that. Lots of people are delivering into backyards, you know, suburban backyards in, in countries with more land mass than they know what to do with. But we're in a very densely populated area here and, and able to make it work. And then part of that is, you know, obviously, you know, accuracy, controllability of the aircraft and the system that's used to do that. But rain and, and fog and wind are every day here in Ireland. The only thing we cannot handle is very high temperatures. Um, and, and, and the trick with very high temperatures, like anything over 40, 45 degrees Celsius and your battery equation starts to degrade, right? So you become less efficient and it's very difficult to cool batteries. Um, so we haven't cracked that particular nut yet. Uh, we know how to crack it, but we're not we're not particularly in a rush to operate in any deserts anytime soon. But the folks in 
the folks in Arizona, Arizona can rest assured that we will uh, be there one day soon enough. Yeah, I noticed that uh, oh, 113 degrees. Well, you know, there are places here in the United States where uh, <clears throat> we, we can accommodate you with those temperatures. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I did see that you're also looking to, to hire a uh, person in the United States. So it sounds like expansion is coming And um, We actually have, we're, we're already there. We, we have our head of USA, Andrew Patton, who actually came from the Wing drone delivery team. He was five years at Wing. And uh, so he's already there. And we, we are already in discussion with all of the stakeholders about starting our first project there. And we're, we're aiming to be there sometime in the summer, probably June, July time frame. Mm. Well, interesting. Um, all right, so we, we have that, and you are, I mean, you know, you talked about your data, and, and to me, you know, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's, that's some data. And I think, um, you know, it's another thing I've been kind of uh, vocal about here in the United States is, is that, you know, this, this thing kicked off let's say legally in 2016 and really the data there is there's tons of data and i think that uh you know maybe uh and i'm probably gene will agree with me on this that some folks may have overreacted gene <laughs> you bring this up from time to time patrick and uh, uh yeah the the data side of it <laughs> has been uh convoluted if you will and you know sometimes you provide data and they don't say they say it's it's not good enough but uh, I'm sitting here listening very uh, intently on your your failure analysis because being an alpha geek and a programmer myself and I've got you by about 12 years there um, you know I've written some of that and uh, it's interesting that uh, you would note that the DJI, while it is very reliable, is not up for the, like you say, the the, the, the long industrial use. So, uh, yeah, good on you for, for pushing that out there. And I'd be interested in knowing where you're sourcing components that will last that long, since most of them come from China anyway. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, we, we make most of our own components. So uh, our airframe, for example, we manufacture pretty much everything ourselves, but certain components like motors do come from China, but motors are not a critical, funnily enough, it sounds weird, but motors, you can design for them not to be critical. And so we get about 500 hours from our motors and and we're pretty happy with that. But those motors are rated for a thousand hours and we test them for a thousand hours. And so that's the way you manage motors. Bizarrely, um, batteries are your biggest threat to safety. Um, it depends on when the way you use them. Yeah, that, that, that tends to be the most hazardous part of it, especially are you using uh, lithium chemistry on those, I'm sure? We we are, yeah. We use, well, actually in our old aircraft, we were lithium polymer and we're on lithium ion now. So lithium ion is more stable and with a, yeah. with a good BMS, you know, with a good BMS, you can head off problems, right? But you're still, you know, we've never had a battery failure, I should say. It's worth, it's worth saying we've never had one. But, again, we only have 95,000 flights. A battery failure is coming, right? But we have an auxiliary battery pack. So we have a main battery pack and a secondary battery pack. And that secondary gives us about 120 seconds of flight. 
So the way we design is we, we assume that the main battery pack can be switched off. So if we detect an overheat or a resistance problem, we knock it off completely. We fly to a rally point. So, you know, what I said earlier is it's heavy and expensive to have redundancy, but that's one area that I'm not aware of any other aircraft that, that has that approach. And it's expensive and, and it's a bit of a pain and it's heavy, you know, our extra battery, it, it, what is yep. it, it's an extra, it's about, a, it's it's not far off a kilo of extra battery for the emergency kilo. So what's that, two, two, two and a bit pounds of extra battery yeah. that never does anything. But we know that if we detect any type of, you know, what we might, we might feel is a runaway heat problem on the battery or resistance problem, we can switch it off if we have to and fly safely to a, a rally point. Now we are we're, we're uh, you know we're, these, these, these podcasts it's funny we go forty five minutes and people are, oh, it's long or whatever but it really seems like things get going you know and, yeah you can uh, talk for hours you, could, you talk for hours about this subject because it's fascinating you know and it is it is fun. fascinating and the other thing is is how uh, you know different people see the problem set and the solution set. Uh, the, the different perspectives is really what I find uh, intriguing, you know. So uh, let me. So you know, you were talking about it's costing you, you know, a dollar for last mile, and I, I got to be honest with you. You know, the, it's been like the holy grail. You know, ah, you know, this last dollar, last mile delivery. You know, yada yada. Uh, and I, you know, would say or assume. We all know what happens when you assume, but, uh, you know, a regulatory situation, uh, it, one that's friendly and one that maybe isn't as quite as friendly can, can really, let's say, swing the needle on cost. And, you know, here in the United States, you know, you have the, uh, <laughs> we have this beyond visual line of sight, which is really extended visual line of sight where you have an operation and you have to have a daisy chain of observers and, you know, yada, yada. And you talk about, you know, population density in your country, and we have a population density in this country, um, things like that. We, we only have, I think currently, or last time I checked, there's about 86 beyond visual line of sight waivers, and most of those are extended visual line of sight waivers. And, and that's in a country yeah. of 300 and some odd million, and we got more area here than you could shake a stick at. You know, um, so, you know, there, there are some people I've, I've you know, I, I uh, seem to attract the folks uh, that, that, you know, say, hey, you know, this, you know this, this guy over here, man, he's, he's uh, doing this and he's doing that. And I don't, I don't want to uh, sound like a detractor, but I want to ask you, so, you know, I know you've been dealing with IAA and I know they hired a bunch of people. And I know that they, you know, they were, they were really interested in this drone thing and it being a um, building an aviation sector in, in, in Ireland, which, I mean, yeah. isn't the uh, Irish Air Force, what do you guys, do you still have five airplanes or did they, did they get a couple more? <laughs> you know, I mean, what, what, what's the airspace like? What's the uh, IAA like? What's, what, are you flying, you know, or you, you said you're flying in Galway. Are you flying out to... Towards Ashford Castle from from Galway, or you, uh, you know, what, what, what's it like? Yeah, no, we're 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 about fifteen minutes from just just to like just so the folks understand the air 
kind of traffic in Ireland, 90% of transatlantic flights fly through our airspace. So we have busiest uh, ANSP in Europe. It is a very busy airspace at high altitude. Dublin Airport puts about 25 to 30 million passengers a year through the airport. So it's a pretty, it's a reasonably busy European airport, right? It's not JFK, but it's, it's, it's busy. And I don't know how many flight movements there are, but Ryanair is the biggest low-cost carrier now, and they have, what, 350 aircraft. So there is a ton of traffic coming out of here, and it is a 15-minute, nearly 10-minute drive from Dublin Airport to where we take off in North Dublin. So it is a complex operation, and uh, the, the difference with the IAA and with IASA is they're determined to be the leaders in drone delivery and enabling the use space, as we call it over here. It's about a cultural you know, race almost to, to make Europe or make Ireland or whatever market it is successful in this because everyone knows that the job bounty and the GDP bounty if you enable that airspace below a thousand feet to be productive and so it's really it's not that it's easier to do it here or the airspace is any less complex than in the United States the airplanes are the same we fly the same aircraft you guys do and we have the same systems for tracking them and um, we just have a very, very strong willingness on the part of EASA uh, and lots of market regulators here to, to actually get going and be pragmatic about it and get the job done. And that's kind of the advantage we have here. And it's, it's probably why all of the investment in drone delivery is actually happening mostly now in small European markets. Interesting. Yeah, well, the use base, uh, you know, it, there are, uh, you know, let's say, let's get her done. Things are supposed to happen this year. Um, I know there's there's a little bit of confusion on exactly how to get that done, but it, it would appear that you're already operating and operating safely. And so, um, you know, do, do you interact a lot with uh, IAA? I mean, do they, do, you know, do you talk to them like monthly and say, hey, you know, here's here's the data, come on over and check it out or are they pretty much we're satisfied with what you're doing and um you know things are yeah really they, they, they do inspections um you know through through our luc um they're the responsible inspector uh for our operations so they would do routine inspections like any good regulator and but we also talk to them a lot so we get involved with them and we discuss use space so for example we're you know our, our view is that use space is great it's a very good way to define who all the stakeholders are and what the responsibilities are and you know then in 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 the EASA context similarly we speak to EASA quite a lot and we're actually going through the design verification process with with you know our new aircraft this year and so, so there is a lot of engagement, and the most important thing is it's engagement with a regulator, both in Ireland and in Europe, where the, the regulations are already written. You know, Europe has ratified these regulations, and they, they become law on the 1st of January 23, where every European market has to have in place the implementation of use-based regulations. 
And those are that is what we need to fly BV loss at scale across the 500 million people in in Europe. So, you know, the so so if you ask me about IAA, yeah, I mean it's it's I won't call it a folksy conversation. It, it's a very professional one, and we are very much regulated. We're not you know friends. We're professional uh, partners, and it works great because we have you know, access to them. We have conversations when we need to and they can ask us questions and inspect us when they need to. And it's fluid. And and that's the case in, in quite a few European markets. But the enabler for that is, you know, there's no there's very few vested interests here um that would get in the way, right? That would that would cause it that would make it difficult for regulators to make rules. And and that's important. If if there is a vested interest it's it's in our favour in that commerce and government want drone delivery like you know as an example our, our we call him our Tornishta, but he's the guy who runs the country uh is coming out to see our operation next week you know so we have we have attention from the upper echelons of government that really see the economic opportunity in this and, and are really helping us navigate any potential you know banana skins as we go um so it is the environment. Like, if there's any U.S. drone delivery companies or even drone companies that are looking for a license to fly or are looking for an environment where regulation assists, then you know they can contact me, and I'd be happy to introduce them and help them, you know, land here and 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 start their businesses here, or whatever. But it's certainly a very very friendly, uh, you know, set of skies over here in Europe for technology companies to want to get going. Yeah, well, you know, um, and there's a few things there I want to talk about, too. Now, the live portion of the show is over. We always seem to go over, but it's still uh, a recording, so people will be able to listen to this. Um, you know, so, yeah, you're talking about the, the uh, and, and I found this in Europe. Uh, you know, I used to spend more time in Europe uh, with the, on the regulatory side of this, um, but I have always found that the civil aviation authorities are way more pragmatic. And there seems to be less special interest, and you, you kind of hit on that. In the United States, we have, uh, you know, AOPA and ALPA and, and, a, and a few other, um, let's say, manned aviation groups, HAI and whatnot, who really knee-jerked on this really hard. Some of them, uh, I think, used uh, drones as a uh, shield or a straw man or whatever because they didn't want ADSB or some other regulation or whatever, and, and yeah. really suffered from that. And the FAA is a, you know, it's a huge machine uh, that doesn't like to move around, where I find that the, the, the CAAs in Europe are, are a little bit more uh, flexible. And I don't think that it's uh, to, to the detriment of safety. I think that they're saying, hey, uh, like you're seeing in Ireland here, this, this is a way for, for commerce to be made. And when commerce yeah. is made, people have jobs. There's a tax base. Um, you know, we're selling more goods and services, more money's coming in, more people have jobs, you know, there's retirements being funded, blah, 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 blah. You know, what you want with a, an economy that's flourishing. So uh, I do see them saying, well, you know, well, we're going to look at this and we're going to find ways to enable this. And, you know, some of the societal type of benefits that you were talking about earlier, you know, I mean, yeah, okay. And, and I was going to ask you about that with the, the old folks. And it's uh, interesting that you put up a phone number because I'm noticing more and more in this country that if, you know, people are older and they don't have a smartphone, uh, 
they're they're uh, you know they're kind of trying to think of a family friendly word. They're excluded. They're just they're excluded. They're excluded. Yes, thank you, sir. And uh, it's too bad, you know, because those are some of the the underserved communities, you know, that are may not own an automobile uh, or have the means to get into the pharmacy or whatever, you know. Um, so that that's good that you're doing that. I'm liking all of that. So, um, okay, before we end this, too, I want could, could you give us the uh, website address where people could come and uh, see what you're doing? And, and also, I thought it was very generous of you to invite people to contact you. But could you give yeah. us the website address? Yeah, so our website is mana.aero, M-A-N-N-A dot aero, like aeroplane. And uh, they can find me on LinkedIn is the best way, Bobby Healy. And uh, particularly if they're in the drone industry and they're looking for advice on, you know, how to how to start get going here in Europe with the with the great regulatory environment we have, I would be very happy to assist them, um, connect them to the regulator here in Ireland or or anywhere around Europe, and, and just help them, you know, get some progress going. You know, it's very generous of you. You know, most times uh, people are, you know, this is my secret sauce and I don't want to dole it out and, uh, you know, yada, yada. So um, you've had, you know, the success. We we saw the uh, flight map and all of the rest of that. So where, where do you, uh, you know, you talk about the U-Space kickoff in 2023, and I know there's a lot of excitement. Like I said, I, I read the document, and they're like, you know, we want this to happen in 2023, and there's there's a few holes in the wheel of cheese on that deal, but do you see, do you, do you, you know, this U-Space, do you see that, uh, you know, putting another layer of overhead on your operation, or do you see it as, as an enabler to just, you know, make uh, bags full of money or somewhere in between? How do you see it? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's just it's necessary because, you know, the, the sky is fairly precious, right? And the and the safety is also pretty precious. And it'd be very difficult without that extra layer. Like we have UTM, you know, we have a bunch of different things, but we we need a set of ground rules so that firstly the skies can't be monopolized by anyone, but also that everyone knows the ground rules, that everyone, you know, agrees, that all the stakeholders agree, look, this is a common set of, I would say, requirements and rules that all stakeholders buy into, and, and everyone has a role in in both the upside, or, or they, they get some of the upside, and they also get the transparency that's required. And I think that's important. Like, if, if I point to other industries like, uh, the scooter industry is a great example where there were no regulations and it didn't matter because there was no safety issue, more or less. And so scooter companies were allowed just get going. And and it got pretty ugly, right? I don't know if you saw, but it, you could you could hardly walk on a, on a sidewalk in many cities around Europe anyway without bumping into a stupid scooter. And can you imagine if there weren't regulations, very clear regulations on the drone space, what would happen? I mean, everyone would walk to their local... Best Buy, they'd buy, you know, an off-the-shelf drone, strap a bag of French fries to it, and start flying it around the place. You do need, you do need, you do need to police it quite a lot, and and so we see the regulations as a necessary hygiene to to the future here. And it's not that we love regulations; is that 
if we want to really scale this industry and we want to lead that, we, we have to be willing to accept some rules. And, and it's not going to hold us back, really. I mean, it's, yeah, there's a little bit of hard work at the start, but ultimately, when we scale, it's not going to hold us back. Interesting. Gene, any, any comments as we get near the end here? No, I mean, I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it's coming. It's going to happen. I, you know, one of our, our local uh, Chinese food restaurants, a guy knows that we're grown people, and he says, hey, when am I going to start delivering, you know, my – my meals and I said soon you know it's, it's gonna happen uh, and uh, you know I, I like my wonton hot and uh, you know if he gives it to me and seriously uh, it's gonna happen so, uh, well, I keep, it, it's not if it's when I keep laughing about burritos uh, have those caught on in Ireland yet is uh, Mexican food caught on over there yet Burritos, no. And a fun fact about burritos, it's probably the only uh, meal that you could throw two miles and it would be the same when it lands. Um, so it's a perfect perfect product for drone delivery. Perfect product for drone delivery where you just drop it out of the drone. Um, but you can tell your, your local Chinese restaurant they're welcome to come to Ireland and I can power their drone delivery tomorrow. I you know he would be interested in hearing that. He really would, because uh, I, yeah. I, you know, talk to the owner all the time. We visit it often. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, no, I, you know, it sounds good to me. Uh, you know, I'm into, I'm into all of that. Uh, well, you know, I, I appreciate the uh, the insight. You know, it's been um, it's been a while since uh, you know I've, I've seen you on LinkedIn and floating around and whatnot. And uh, like I said, I tried to get you on here, kind of give us a uh, scene or, you know, some, some views inside of what's happening in uh, in Ireland with this and Europe and whatnot. And it's uh, interesting. And I do, you know, it's kind of funny. There, there's been times through this whole integration effort where people are like, oh, you know, people in Europe, oh, you know, we feel like we're, we're looking at the caboose on the train, you know, and the lights are fading. And I'm like, hey, you know, uh, you really shouldn't feel like that because I think that there's been um, – there's been many times when Europe has kind of been out in the lead on, on a lot of this stuff, and I think it's because of the, the civil aviation authorities being more pragmatic than um, what we have here in the United States. So, uh, you know, it, it's uh, sometimes that we have some stuff to learn from the old world. Let's just put it that way. Well, you know, and, so a while, I would sum up our advantage here you're right that the civil aviation authorities have, you know, a very pragmatic view and it doesn't compromise safety. But the, the thing, the advantage that Europe has here, and it's an unusual one, is Europe is still a baby in terms of, you know, being a federal, a set of federal entities. So we have a bunch of quite fragmented countries, each with their own aviation authority and each with a, a government and a transport minister that is looking to make a difference, that's looking to be competitive with its neighbor states. So we actually have a competitive tension amongst the different you know, countries in Europe that doesn't exist in the US. You know, you have a federal aviation authority that governs all of the airspace, and you have re essentially a federal government and a bunch of states that have no real responsibility for the airspace. And I, I don't think that's bad or good, but I don't think it makes it easy to be pragmatic when you have such a gigantic, you know, country all governed by one 
entity. And it's just it's just harder to make stuff happen. But I, I don't think if I were in the US investing in drone delivery in the US, I wouldn't be worried because in the end, the US isn't just going to catch up. It's going to overtake everybody else. And, and I'm going to be part of that. Yeah, I agree. Someday, you know, we'll uh, we'll get it together. But I, I just do. I personally, you know, there was a knee jerk. I think they they went, you know, the needle swung way over, and you know. But you know, uh, people like you with the data, you know. I mean, if and I and I uh, applaud you for for keeping all of that data. Some people would be apprehensive uh, over here. You know, some of the legacy guys like to keep everything on uh, paper. That way, they could, oh, you know, I don't. The dog ate my homework kind of thing um but i you know i think that that's uh an, an open and honest approach and i do believe that the numbers are going to show um uh, that the drones as far as fatalities are concerned that the drones are way safer and not that you know mishaps aren't going to happen because that's how the world works right i mean you you release something or do something new uh you know and you're you're going to have mishaps and i'm sure that happened with you know and they came up with the, the wagon and the, the ship and, the, you know, whatever, car, whatever new technology comes out there. There's always that risk that's released into the, the society or whatever. So I don't think it's, uh, you know, I don't think we should say there's never going to be any problems because some, someday there probably will. But we try to do what we can to mitigate those and serve, yeah. uh, you know, this society like, uh, you know, those people, again, that are, you know, underserved. So there's a there's a, a give and a take and an ebb and flow and all the rest of that. So all right, well that was a you know very uh, interesting conversation, very enlightening, and I'd like to thank you for being on. And I'm sure you know we'll talk here in the future. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Nice to meet you, James. Nice to meet you, sir. Take care. All right. All right. Till next time. Bye bye. Bye.